0: On today's episode of The Mythic Masculine.
1: It's a big piece of work to stand here and proclaim modern culture is not the best thing that human beings ever invented on the earth. In fact, it's exterminating life on earth as fast as possible, 200 species a day. And it has an edge. It has an edge. And to discover that edge is devastating. And for people to know it is devastating, and if you're not prepared to be devastated, then... Get, a, get away from the edge, go back to your day-to-day job and your life as modern culture preaches it. But the ones who are willing to to go into this, this liquid state, the evolutionary liquid states that are involved in letting what you thought was so become realizing that it is not so. That whole jellification, that liquefaction of the thing that you're standing on, God, this is big stuff. You want... You want to have an adventure? This is adventure. This is the bottom falling out. Knowing that there is a next place to go is so great. It's such good news.
0: What does it mean to be a man today? The old ideas of masculinity are dissolving, and the new expressions are just beginning to rise. In the era of Me Too and biospheric collapse... How might we look to the old myths and archetypes for guidance to navigate the space between stories? This podcast explores the historical, cultural, and contemporary voices that are shaping this dynamic conversation of the emerging masculine. Greetings, dear listener. I'm your host, Ian McKenzie. My guest today is Clinton Callahan, an author and cultural edgewalker that calls himself a memetic engineer. He is the originator of Possibility Management, a training organization that aims to empower people as bridges to next culture. Clinton strikes me as a man from the future, and by that I mean one who has explored the edges of our current paradigm and has developed a sophisticated and complex series of mimetic distinctions that compose an entirely different game world than our modern dominant context. In our sweeping conversation, we cover a lot of ground, including... The importance of lowering your numbness bar to develop the capacity to truly feel again. Understanding our box intelligence that keeps us from stepping outside of the familiar. And what he believes lies beyond matriarchy and patriarchy. The rise of archiarchy. It's okay if you feel a bit lost for the first half hour of our conversation. I promise. It will all make sense. Maybe. By the end. I also want to give a huge shout out of appreciation to my Patreon supporters allow me to continue bringing these important conversations from the fringes to the mainstream. Please consider joining them and get access to exclusive bonus material and other perks. Visit my website, themythicmasculine.com, and choose Become a Supporter. Thank you, and please enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the show, Clinton Callahan. Hi, Ian.
1: Yeah, I feel very glad to have this opportunity, so thank you for reaching out and opening that door.
0: Uh, I'd love to begin with just a glimpse of where you are in this moment, you know, to, to share with the listeners, just a sense of, yeah, where you are, whatever that means, you know, at whatever layer that it that means to you.
1: I've been locked in, in Southern Germany for two months and have found it to be very productive in terms of both. It's been a writing frenzy for, various projects that we're working on at the same time that part of it is not so different from my, my normal life it's like every chance i get i hunker down and and pump out uh transform distinctions from the ether onto paper basically and but the other thing is we've discovered this the validity of this energetic heart-to-heart connection that exists between people all around the planet instantaneously the truth of it is is so palpable in these zoom conversations where i've got 20 30 people we're all looking in each other's eyes at the same time on the screen which makes it even more effective than a circle because in a circle you can only see a couple of people across the circle but here is everybody there at the same time and the connecting in is is so it's actually powerful because, you know, of course it's not happening through the screen. It's happening being to being. And we've been doing work with that in the way of navigating intimacies and intimacy journeys. And but it's been so strongly confirmed by by I, I ask how many people can feel that everybody's hand is in the air. And it's 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 been profound that way.
0: Well, that's such an interesting different experience than I hear from a lot of people around Zoom in particular. Uh, where there 's this clear burnout, I think that happens for people that um, maybe the way that they 're engaging with this medium doesn 't seem to uh, you know invite the level of connection and I wonder maybe briefly if you could just share a little bit about what is it that you 're approaching differently um, that others don 't know
1: you 've just asked this question about what the context is that would allow uh, subtle, energetic experiences in an everyday uh an everyday component of life and the the thing is to first we'll work with ourselves as having for example five bodies rather than a mind in a, a single physical body and it it's such a basic fundamental but but very powerful shift to make to get it that we have this of course a physical body and an intellectual body which is highly overemphasized in the schooling system. It's it's so distorted that it's no wonder that indigenous people look at us and gawk at us with this horror in their eyes of what we've done to ourselves in the name of who knows what? Modern modern progress or something. And and then but in addition to the intellectual body, we have this emotional body that has this heart with these feelings and we have an energetic body which kind of fits around the physical body with these subtle energetic perceptions that are so so part of our daily life but we're just so unaware of it and then we have this archetypal body that doesn't really come online until the other four bodies are kind of balanced out and then the other component of this that makes it so pretty straightforward to sense this heart-to-heart or being-to-being connection across the planet is Lowering the numbness bar. So this mm-hmm. thing called a numbness bar is an internal mechanism that we learned to do from the men we learned from our fathers basically, which was to deaden ourselves to the, uh, the emotions and the subtle energetic experiences that are so alive in a human system. Our nervous system is so sensitive and so multidimensional and we have direct access to so many resources that modern culture knows nothing about, but we keep that numbness bar up to 80, 90% high. And we don't notice anything until one of our feelings like anger gets up so high, it passes the numbness bar. And then we explode and kick the dog and throw dishes and scream at our loved ones and slam the door. And, you know, these behaviors of the explosion, and we don't know where it came from because our numbness bar was way up at 90% and we didn't feel the 32% anger. We didn't feel the 17% anger. We didn't feel the 2% anger where we could have made a difference in our lives. We could have made a boundary, ask for what we want, say yes, say no, make a distinction, and, and th- these resources. So those two things, using a five-body model instead of a mind-and-body model, and lowering the numbness bar so we have a sensitivity that's our birthright, that we recover that. Those two things together make it instantaneously uh, a direct experience rather than a concept of this oneness and this connection that can happen so bountifully and be so satisfying even from a long Hmm. distance away.
0: Hmm. I'm grateful you brought up the numbness bar and I'd love to even to give the listeners perhaps a little bit of a, a story around our first connection. Um, that that you know uh, you know we've launched into some of the the realms that we're going to be touching on, and I think it's a probably important piece of the story that you know you I believe this is how it went. You know, you reached out a number of years ago. I think it might have been twenty thirteen, even around then. And I, I believe you might have seen some work I did. Maybe it was the Stephen Jenkinson short film or something along those lines. Yeah, and. I think, I remember you reached out and just said something like, you know, Hey, you know, interesting work you're doing. And, you know, you might be interested in some of the work I'm doing. And, you know, do you want to check it out? Something like that. And, uh, I thought, you know, not as much of it. Like, Oh, cool. Interesting. And, uh, you ended up sending your books, power of, or the directing the power of conscious feelings as well as a radiant joy, brilliant love. And I remember actually, you know, having them for the longest time, uh, you know, with me and, Even, uh, I think the following year we, we met in person actually at the News Story Summit in Finhorn, Scotland. And, um, it's it's actually interesting that, you know, so many of some of the other guests as well, you know, Bio Akamalafe and Bo Huntress and others is actually, I met them there too. And I realized even now, you know, how profound actually of a nexus that was. Um, and, uh, and at that point still, you know, I felt a sense of your work, but also, uh, almost like it's, it was so beyond, beyond, you know, what I, what I was able even to, Approach or to absorb or whatever it was, you know, I'd crack open the book some days and be like, whoa, and just, you know, get a hit and then be like, okay, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. And it was only actually more recently, um, maybe, I don't know, six months ago where I think I finally became clear about what you're speaking to, like this, this numbness bar that, you know, I had set within myself and also the, um, the whole mapping of this idea of conscious feelings, and even like what's the in- what is the intelligence of feelings, you know, in a way, and and for me that's actually was such a profound kind of like finally able to even ask the question, you know, and and I even said this actually to a friend of mine, um, who he's an actor or he spent a lot of time in, in acting, and so he he has developed a real sensitivity to emotions and to actually experience them, not really personally in a sense, but through his through himself. And I really admired that. And I even said to him one day, I was like, what are the point of feelings? I'm like, like I really, you know, I really had to step out of even my own identifications of, you know, what that, what that question or what that says about me, I almost had to embody what I feel is like the masculine bewilderment in this culture of what are the point of feelings because they just seem messy or, you know, untrustworthy or weak or, you know, all the rest. And yeah, I'd love to start there even for you to speak to that.
1: Try to imagine that this little mm, cloudiness or this little mm, this little fogginess about what is this stuff called feelings? What's the point of them? How, why do we have them? It, obviously, God made some kind of mistake that we that we can actually sense some of these things. And obviously... We have solutions to problems. You know, there are drugs and there's therapy mm-hmm. and, and we, we, we have ways to suppress that. And if you can't suppress it, we have places to put you. So it's, you better figure out how to become numb and not a problem with mm-hmm. your feelings because, uh, we don't have a way to deal with it other than that. And so try to imagine how that one distinction, that one mm, confusion or that, that, uh, I would call it an uninitiated perspective is mm. one of maybe ten thousand distinctions that we're missing mm. really it and I'm not exaggerating that number that it 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 that it builds a context for our experience of life both inside of ourselves and in the world in terms of what we're able to create what we're able to perceive what we're able to exchange and communicate mm. and what we're able to um step into in terms of spaces and 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 um relationships that that this one is so big people think that often think that that's what our work possibility management is about they think it's feelings work Mm -hmm. and it is so far away from actually what possibility management is about and it took me some years to figure out that if we don't if we don't get people in their five bodies and um act uh like, not sensitized, actually, like, um, noticing and being able to make use of these inner and outer resources that are our, our birthright. Like I said, um, we can't even begin to manage possibility, to mm. manage what's possible. And mm. so, this is where we, we start with most people. And this is where, this is what the, the front, the bridge, the bridge is. It's like, that's the front door.
0: I'd love to offer a bit of context to the listeners because again, it's just, it's such a vast territory. I think that, um, you know, you've, you've, um, articulated through your, many years now, like 40 years or something of this, this explore, exploration. And, um, maybe the way in, in this moment is to first speak about, you know, what is the context that you've offered, you know, in your work, um, around, around this moment in, you know, let's call it empire, civilization, you know, building, Patriarchy. And, and I do want to use the word patriarchy in this moment, even though I still find that a bit problematic, you know, because, um, I mean, it's a bit loaded depending on obviously who you're talking to. Um, my understanding of the, the actual, say, translation of the word patriarchy relates to, um, not so much maybe calling it the rule of men per se, but archetypally the rule of the father. Uh, and maybe maybe it's, you know, could be then said the unconscious tyrant father, maybe that's it, the uninitiated father, right? That could be one way of looking at it. But I do think it's important for the listener who also may have either, you know, they might be saying, yeah, patriarchy, smash it. Or they might be saying, well, is this saying all men are terrible and they need to take a backseat? You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of ways in which people can uh, maybe try to fit it into their own maybe traumatized or projections of what what patriarchy is. But I'd love for you to define, at least in in your work, how do you use that word as a context for this moment, particularly for men, but also, you know, for life?
1: It brings up this big question about what are we? Mm. What is a human being? And uh, if you take a step back and realize that we live on a planet and that the biological organisms on the planet have been evolving with a, a formidable elegance and grace in terms of recently i was in bali and looking at certain insects and butterflies and plants and flowers and fruit that are not native to to the europe or north america that have such a, a such an elegance in their complexity in terms of the interrelations between mm. The, the plants and the animals and the the colors and shapes and forms and it, it begins to get outrageous because it's so beyond the practical mm. it has so much beauty and so much um like incomprehensible like why why would why would this bird go make such a complex sexual enticement dance to this female partner so that something could happen you know or why is this flower have 14 different levels in it just to, just to have the pollen get into the stamen, whatever this is. So, mm-hmm. so it's like, okay, all right, what's going on? What is this really about? And it's like, it's like this, there's some, there are forces at work that we're not ordinarily aware of. And so in my research, in the, in the, in the investigation into what I am or mm-hmm. what is a human being, it has come to a a place where I, i think of it as a uh um like this general field of consciousness that you can spin in certain way and cause an electron to form mm-hmm. you know if you can and then out of that you you can build atoms and you can build all the material objects of the world you spin that stuff and certain subatomic particles show up and then and then you have something else that this general field of consciousness can interact with all of a sudden it interacts with this material substance and it creates another field called the specific field of consciousness mm. so it's like the specific field of consciousness of earth is gaia mm. and what is gaia up to well gaia is up to the evolution of consciousness so how does how does this field work on the raw minerals you know that are there how does how does this what's this interference pattern because because and it this explains the base two basic sorts of religions on planet earth Mm. which is there are certain religions that bow down to one deity which it would be the general field of consciousness and there are certain other religions that bow down to a multiplicity of deities, which is when you take the general field of consciousness and hit the material things, like all these like rays of of divine energy show up through all these material objects. And mm-hmm. each one of them has manifestations or reflections of that. And so then you have all, all the multiple deity religions. So... So both are true. Mm. Both are true. There's zero conflict between those two views of the world or experiences of the world. And so this this what is Gaia up to? Like what are we? Like what are we what is Gaia up to? And it's like Gaia is up to the manifestation of consciousness through an organic thing. And then okay, all right. So here we are. With this male and female f- f- formation that's being driven by the, the wish of Gaia to, to create uh, a conscious species on planet Earth for whatever reason. It's the, it's the, it's the consciousness of, of consciousness itself. And we're so close and Gaia has to do an experiment in the middle of that. And that is to give us free will. Mm. We have to have choice or it doesn't work and it's a very risky experiment because if the the naked monkeys, if us human beings do not make it out of the chrysalis you know out of our out of our adolescent child and adolescent state into an adult state, if we stop doing the authentic adulthood initiatory processes that are strong enough and radical enough and to crack you know, to help us get out just like a chicken getting out of egg. If that doesn't happen, then we are left as adolescents inside of this chrysalis. And and this to me is where we are right now. Because six thousand years ago when it became clear that we couldn't continue to walk around on planet Earth as if Mother Earth was a, a salad bar. You know, Mm. we had to we couldn't do that anymore because the weather changed and and we needed to figure out agriculture and storage of food. And then all of a sudden we have fences and then all of a sudden we have stuff that can be stolen that has value. Mm. And all of a sudden we have raiding parties that are are led by those who climb up hierarchical structures the best, which turn out to be psychopathic men. So if you have a hierarchy, you're designing in the possibility for a psychopathic male person to climb up the power structure and take over the top. It's a design error, but we've been, we've been keeping it that way for 6,000 years and we end up with this cultural format that has essentially wiped out the matriarchal planet as a salad bar. Format and replaced it with this hierarchical structure, an army, you know, a corporate army structure. And, and that's where we are right now. And, and the thing is where we also are right now is at the end of that. Mm. And it's so great to, to discover being at the end of it, to discover that there's so many groups in little experiments all around the planet. Like there's, um, Ray Anderson wrote this book with the um about the cultural creatives way way back in the turn of the of the millennium and he he estimated 50 million by now there's over 200 250 million edge workers like us who are doing local experiments to invent the culture that comes after matriarchy and patriarchy have run their course. Mm. And so what is that culture and how do we get there and it's it's become clear it it's very clear as, as I've been around too. I've been chasing eco villages. I've been chasing all kinds of edge work experiments what people are doing, and and it turns out that what we have in next culture is the creative collaboration of the archetypally initiated adult woman with the archetypally initiated adult man. And you, what do you call that culture? Well, we came up with this word, archiarchy. So it's not matriarchy or patriarchy. It's the archetypal form, the initiated, the stellated, the turned on masculine and feminine that are creatively collaborating in this cultural format with, with the dynamics that come out that makes that possible. And that's, and that's what the bridge that you and I are building hmm. for people to go across. But, but like you said, it's like, like, what the hell are we talking about? You know, like what in modern cultures has prepared us to have this conversation? Nothing, really nothing. And so it's, it's, a, it's a big piece of work to stand here ahead of your time and proclaim modern culture is not the best thing that human beings ever invented on the earth. In fact, it's exterminating life on earth as fast as possible, 200 species a day. And it has an edge. It has an edge, and to discover that edge is devastating. And for people to know it is devastating, and if you're not prepared to be devastated, then get a, get away from the edge, go back to your day to day job and your life as modern culture preaches it. And but the ones who are willing to to go into this this liquid state, the evolutionary liquid states that are involved in letting. What you thought was so become realizing that it is not so. That whole jellification, that liquefaction of the thing that you're standing on. God, this is big stuff. You want, you want to have an adventure. This is adventure. And you want to have archetypal level adventures. This is the hero's journey. This is the bottom falling out and knowing that there is a next place to go is so great. It's such good news. it isn't chaos, raw chaos and 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 disorder and destruction and you know zombieland or you know, <laughs> Mel Gibson movies. you know it isn't that
0: Wow, thank you i mean, there's a number of questions came up for me in in that, and I mean, you touched on it this idea of the edge and the, and, and the cultural edge um and you said it's devastating to to reach it, and you know I'm struck by. Often approaching men's work with the sense of, oh, that this is the, this is what we need to do. Um, you know, we have to work on, you know, feelings and, um, personal growth. And, you know, basically the references for that, um, pathway seem to be embedded deeply within the current structure as it is, which is something that, you know, we, you and I touched on uh, outside of this conversation, this idea that, um, it's so difficult to actually, you know, dream up or approach. Uh, a perspective or a, or a way outside of the water you're swimming in unless you're able to get to the you know outside of the bowl let's say or, or to the edge of the culture and the devastation you speak to I think it's quite powerful because you know in a in your article I think I'd shared online earlier you know you said what if you know what if men got together and basically were devastated for a time you know about what's been done and really allowed themselves to just feel the depth of you know domination of pillage of of you know collapse of trespass you know what if that was men's work you know for a time um, the, the the core of it versus you know having an agenda or having an idea you know about that and i wonder what came to me maybe to say is that the pathway to that seemed to be grief
1: i i i want to go even back farther than that in each mm. individual man's life to consider the possibility that when a male body is born when one of these male bodies is born, the context around that has a very strong expectation on the being in the body, which is that either you join the patriarchy now, either you abide by the context of the capitalist patriarchal empire now, even in, even in the... The, the present religions are, are basically all patriarchal, ex, except for the indigenous, the feminine infested ones. This is like, this is the option that a baby boy has. We each had to make the choice to join the patriarchy or die. And uh, there are boys who don't, who don't go with it. One, some of them just have sudden infant death syndrome and just die. Some of them whatever, try to try to not be men, try to be a, a neutral sex or an undefinable sex, so that they can't be have the finger pointed at them, that it's your fault, or you're doing this, or you are one of those, so that they don't have to identify with the patriarchy. So it's like so we have had to pay a maximum price to be in the patriarchy. Women, on the other hand, they only have to be slaves or sex slaves or objects in the patriarchy. It's easier for women to get out of the patriarchy than men mm. because they can fight against, you know, the overlords and they can find ways out and they can team up and they can be sisters together and they can go on journeys together and evolution can happen for them and that, and they can, they can find ways out of the patriarchy way easier than the men. Cause the men, what we have to do is start completely over again from zero we have to die and so when you say it's devastating it's worse than that it's it is and it's not about beating ourselves up or being or being you know we have done bad or paying penance or grieving grieving the pain that we've caused it's abandoning ship and it's such a betrayal to our father to the men in the company, the boys down the block, you know, a whole all of our friends, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible betrayal to just say, I'm leaving. I'm stepping out. This doesn't work for me anymore. Game over. Because, because there's no place, there's no place really even in the mythology of men for that to happen. Because it's, it's previous to Iron John even. It's like previous to the mythologies that we've been hearing about. It's like it's like to go to go another way has to start from a point of origin that's previous to it's where we've gotten to now. So it's almost like we can't go from here um, and take a right turn and get over to archiarchy. It's like we have to turn around, go back to zero, or start over again at zero and reinvent what it is to be alive as, as a, in a human, a male body.
0: Hmm. You know, another question comes up for me then is, um, this uh, proliferation of a multiplicity of genders that's been, you know, happening now, I think in the last generation or so, um, you know, those that identify as non-binary, uh, or trans or all these, um, variations. And, you know, I'm curious cause, you know, I, I personally see the value of having a kind of, um, gendered language around these things. Uh, um and at the same time i'm obviously sensitive to those that don't fit into that you know polarity in their expression or their identification and i wonder for you as well does that proliferation of genders now is that an example of a kind of breaking down of the patriarchal control um or is that also in a sense like a reaction to to that oppression and is it still possibly circling again like the the kind of um The depth that actually needs to happen in order to truly you know as you say reinvent uh, a different pathway to archaearchy.
1: the last thing you just said makes most sense to me it's it 's a way to go around having to face starting over with an, with no handbook without mm-hmm. a guide. I mean the thing is in terms of the evolution of consciousness and in terms of becoming. Shifting from adolescence to adulthood in terms of um stepping out of the patriarchy, these things we can't really do alone and and the whole training about the masculine is that we we have to do everything alone we have no we're not trained how to rely radically rely on a team or a circle or all the participants in the circle, including the women and the children and the undefined sex. Uh, identities the genders like to rely radically rely on that the group intelligence to to be you know we have to we're to do it by ourselves we're really we don't so i don't have i don't have most of the answers i have to those questions are so controversial i dare not say them in your presence <laughs> mm. and it's they're based they're based on the transgender people coming to our training spaces and looking for their next steps And there are these, these huge healing and transformation processes that occur, occur for each, everybody in those spaces and that, and those, um, it's, it doesn't help. It does not about giving somebody a correct identity. It's about empowering them to be themselves and what that, what that is. And so the invitation that I make ongoingly is for the people who are, are in this worldview. It's their job. It's their job to to build the bridges. You know, it's their job there. So, one of my great joys about next culture, about archiarchy, is that it is so multi-dimensional. I mean, you have to imagine. You know, we have a a United Nations with 195 countries in it, and and the people, the eight billion people on the planet, are supposed to identify with one of those nationalities, and it turns out that. Your nationality is one of the six prisons that you need to get out of to be a human being, an adult human being. You know, and I mean, it's straightforward. It's like the first prison is your mom's belly. You know, you, and you know, people probably who have still living in their mom's belly, even though they might be 30, 40, 50 years old, there's still some, somebody has to take care of them. You know, who's going to take care of me? Who's going to feed me? Who's going to protect me like that? They have this, and they might even still live in with their mom. And the, the next prison is like, is the family, is the, the household, because every household has rules and uh, culture. It has its own, um, worldview in, you know, what is, you know, in, in my house, we do it like this. Every household has this. And, and you also know people still living at their parents' house.
0: One of the other key concepts that I've come across in your work uh, a number of times is this this idea of the box. And you I even offer these specific trainings called it's to expand the box or expand the box trainings. And I'd love for you just to sketch out um, what you mean when you say, you know, the box and how the box functions to keep people and maybe even talking about men and, as well, like how the box, particularly for men, keeps them within a certain you know, cultural reference frame that, that sort of protects itself from actually, you know, breaking through and and changing.
1: This, this thing that we are, when we get born has this huge immense potential at the same time we have bodies and, uh, and physical needs that have to be taken care of or we just die right away, really right away. And so we need to be nursed and kept warm and cuddled and, Respected and listened to, and given clarity about how things work, and so we're we're really adept. Like a being doesn't know which which kind of culture it's going to be born into. So this being, this thing that we are, could be born as a an, an Eskimo, you know, uh, a, a New York, you know, panhandler, you know, a sailor in the in the Caribbean. You know, there's so many possibilities of what language, what culture. We are so flexible and so adaptive. It's just incredible. And then, and then, but we need to figure that out or we die. So it's very clear that we, we want to grab a hold of how this works here. Who am I? Who are those other people? What do I do in a place like this with people like them? And there's so many tricks. There's so many incredible, incredibly creative ways that we figure out to build a construct Inside of ourselves, it's like a memetic construct. You know, memes are like genes, whereas the genes are the, the smallest instruction for the design of our physical body. And the memes are the smallest instruction for the design of our psychology, of our personality, our mind. Hmm. And so, and so we build a memetic structure that functions even if, even if, for example, if we have to beat ourselves up or disempower ourselves to survive in that environment. If We have to be, we have to be obey. We have to, we have to be, we have to fit into the system. We have to do what they say. We have to, there's all these ways we disempower ourselves. So to a large degree, the mimetic construct that we put together interfaces our being with the world so that we can survive, even if survival means to disempower ourselves and to be not okay with ourselves. And this, construct is made up of rules and beliefs and stories and conclusions and memories and um, expectations and assumptions and projections. It's made up of these, con- these components, just like any room that you're in is made up of windows, floors, doors, lights, knobs, pipes. Uh, these, it has the same components. Every box has basically the same components and every box is unique. Every box in the world is unique. We have this. And so the purpose of the box is survival. It's to interface us with the world. It is, has the same function as a chrysalis for a butterfly or this, an egg for a chicken. It has that function. So this personality construct that we build, that we get identified with for the first 18 years of our life has a very specific purpose and a very specific lifetime which is about 18 years at which point our being expects to hatch out or to be hatched out through authentic adulthood initiatory processes, which have been forbidden in modern culture. So this, this thing that we call the box was designed to completely change its purpose when we're 18 years old. You know, the first purpose is, is defensive to protect ourselves and The shifted purpose is to be expansive. So imagine waking up in the morning and instead of thinking about all these people that you have as enemies, you know, and you have resentment about them and you have your fear about this and you're instead of putting up this uh, world around you that, uh, that, that duplicates how it was yesterday, that you, you actually wake up in the morning into set of uh, behaviors that are about expanding Going on adventures, discovery, doing experiments, finding new ways to be vulnerable and open and listen and connect and include and in all these, these, these potentials that we have. So that shift is missing for us to, to crack out. And so most people, when, when they say I, they don't realize which I is talking. And so we, and we get identified with our box construct, our, our psychology as I, it's like it's, you're talking to a dead machine. Like this is a, just a reflexive, defensive, you push the button on the box, it does the same thing. Every time you push it, there's the same reaction. And then there's this an additional character that's part of this, which we've come to call our gremlin. And the gremlin part is the, is the alive part of the box that has the capacity to to do whatever it takes to defend the box's construct. And the gremlin will destroy any space at any time for no reason for the purpose of keeping everything the same. And what happens is because the gremlin has not, we've not gone through the initiatory process to make our gremlin conscious as a tool at our side, as a force of nonlinear possibility, it functions as... Serving shadow principles, serving unconscious principles, serving revenge, superiority, arrogance, being right, making other people wrong, you know, playing, being betrayed. God, I used to I used to be an expert at being betrayed. It was unbelievable, really. (laughs) And I could be betrayed about anything until I learned about the purpose of my gremlin and my box. When I learned about that, things just completely changed. So it's a its these are huge Initiatory processes that are waiting for each person to go through. And they're they're straightforward. We are designed for this. And modern culture doesn't provide that. So if you figure this out, if you get to the edge of modern culture and you go, it has an edge, there's something else. Well, I want, I want the next thing. I want, this isn't working for many. I want, I want to figure out how things are. Well, you have to find then people who can deliver these initiations for you. And those mm-hmm. people have to be a little bit beyond the edge. So there are there are all kinds of people out there providing initiatory processes. You have to you're under your own recognizance to determine the integrity of the procedures that are being offered. And there are scams left and right, up and down, out there in terms of tantric sex and spirituality evolution transfer all this stuff is out there you have to let the buyer beware you really need to pay attention to the 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 kinds of work that you put yourself into and and there are so many these days authentic initiatory processes available that you can get yourselves into and and so expand the box is not the way it is a way and it has a lot of clarity and has a lot of tools and has a lot of years of 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 feedback from people who who actually can can stand in it and go god this stuff actually works it fucking works and their lives change and it's just fantastic and so you know i i started this you know i started doing this kind of stuff you know as a hobby in college cuz i wasn't learning what i wanted to learn in college you know i go to college and the lady at the beginning, she says, well, honey, what would you like to study? What do you want to learn? And I, I go, and God, nobody ever asked me that before. And I, I was truthful. I said, I want to learn magic. I want to learn transformation. I want to learn alchemy. I want to learn healing, psychic skills. I want to learn paraphysics. I want to learn metaphysics. She goes, stop right there. We have physics. <laughs> and so I said, okay, okay, I'll take physics. So I studied physics for five years at the university in California. And after the third or fourth year, I was going, I am not, they're not teaching me what I want to learn. And I, I took some time off and then I jumped back in. And But what I eventually did was I, I put up a poster around, around the university and said, I'm not really learning what I came here to learn. Does anybody else want to talk about it? On Thursday night at 7.30 in the student union. So I, I was there with my buddy and I thought a few people might show up. We could have a little discussion group 75 people came to this first meeting. I was shitting in my pants. I was sweating. (laughs) I was shaking. I never had ever given a talk before in front of people. And my buddy, you know, he hits me in the side. Just go up there. You're the one who put up the posters. You got to go up and say something. So I went up. I don't remember what I said, but we started every Thursday night at 730 having a, a possibility team. And that was in 1975. So I've been having possibility teams since then, basically. Ongoingly inventing and reinventing and discovering what works and what doesn't work, which has resulted in this thing called possibility management.
0: Well, wow. I love hearing that story actually about how the origin of of possibility management came. And um, I wonder as well, you know, you so you've called together you know this group of uh, let's say misfits and and wanderers, and you started to start doing these experiments. And I wonder was it was there also a time when you Encountered your own rites of passage that that happened alongside this, right? To to kind of I know you're laughing a lot, so I'm suspecting that's uh, suspecting that's true. Um, I'd love to know, yeah, what were some of those rites of passage that you found yourself in that you know really offered you that cracking open?
1: So I you know I I graduated with a degree in physics, and then I had to figure out what I was going to do, and I eventually ended up starting a little computer and electronics company. Mechanical engineering, doing polymerase chain reaction, um, machines for DNA research. And We were developing cutting age biological research instruments. And, and really it was a, it was a cool thing in San Francisco area. And it was, it was working. And then I, I found a little, I found a little like business card in a telephone booth and it, it asked this question. It says, why are you doing the work that you're doing? Why are you doing that work? And I, I just, you know, didn't, I ignored the question for about three or four months, and then all of a sudden, it dawned on me. It was like, well, I'm doing this kind of work because my father does this kind of work, mm-hmm. and it hit me like this ton of bricks thing, where it isn't my work, and so I quit. I just, I just gave everything to my partner, and then I, I went into multi level marketing for a year, and I, I lost sixty thousand dollars in a year trying to be in Hong Kong and Canada and Vancouver. I was all over trying and it just it took me into this complete bankruptcy where every credit card I could get was maxed out and and I had no way to turn because I had to pay these these bills every month and finally my roommate says you want to work for me this is in now in Arizona and he says yeah I need a secretary and I'm going well it's the only offer I have well it was a secretary in a secretary in a small training company I didn't even know what a training was and so I go yeah yeah And so he started bringing me to trainings. And so I was in this such a dark, hopeless, my wife at the time, my two kids, you know, they were just going, they were just looking at me like this complete dad, you know, failure, like Hmm. like we can't buy what, you know, we don't have money for what, you know, and I had, I just lost really my whole self-esteem. Like I had this whole vision of being a millionaire. My partner in the electronics company next year was a millionaire. He's still a millionaire. So, you know, and I, I had, darkness and self-doubt and really and it wasn't the first time this is and it's not the last time so i've had plenty of these times so this was one of them where the bottom just completely fell out and then it was at that moment that i was loose enough i was i was i was like i had enough flexibility that the earth coincidence control office could step into my life grab me by my shirt move me into this small training company and i could actually start doing the work i came here to do which was transformational trainings. And so it was, it was like, I, this is when I started having radical reliance on breakdown, radically relying on, on, on these forces that were at work to evolve consciousness. If I could be interesting, if I could be useful as an agent of the evolution of consciousness, if I could be a useful piece on the board, they would move me. And it has been that way ever since then. I mean, if you had told me that I was going to, you know, I had my company in Arizona. If you told me, I mean, in uh, in San Francisco, if you had told me back then that I was going to leave America and move to Germany, uh, get a divorce, get married to a German woman, write and invent a game world, an entire, the whole possibility management game world outside of America that was going to be used as Adulthood initiatory processes for next culture. If you had told me this stuff back then, I would have just said, what kind of drugs have you been taking? You know, there is no way in the world I could have predicted this. And and it, but, you know, and you look backwards and you can see how the steps take you there. And so so by 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 having some kind of faith in this force, I am I'm more willing to throw myself into the dark, the dark times. Really, the, the 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 groundlessness. The Pema Chodron says, you know, the nature of reality is groundlessness. Well, hallelujah! That's actually how it is to get from one place to another, box A to box B, like you said. There, in between, is this liquid state where things are reordering. Well, that reordering—if you don't have the reordering—nothing changes. And if and if in the reordering, you're going to feel things. You're going to feel scared. You're going to feel so like sad at the loss of the time that you spent the being the old way. You're going to feel so angry that they taught you stuff that wasn't true or that you believed it. And this, if it's not okay for you to feel that what happens to in these, in this transformational liquid state, if it's not okay to feel, then you will block the transformation. And I think people have so many diseases these days and so many really suicides and so many heartbreaks and so much, uh, just conflict and really war and all these things are, are distractions from the in- feeling the intensity of going through actual authentic initiatory processes that the liquid states into the next thing.
0: Hmm. You know, it makes me think of, um, the going back to the reference we talked earlier about feelings and, you know, the power of conscious feelings. And in particular for men, um, you know, on the one hand, I do feel like, there has been a a more recent shift for the newer generation, you know, where, you know, I talk to a younger now and, you know, largely depending on where you're talking about, they can say like, Oh yeah, you know, it's cool to cry or, um, gender expression is, is generally more accepted. So I definitely feel like there has been a shift from maybe my generation and your generation as well from the, the kind of, you know, iron grip of, of the, the box. And at the same time, there's, um, a lot of men now in particular as well, I think that are still in this place. It's almost like, you know, they know that masculinity is not working. Um, you know, often this frame of toxic masculinity is trotted out as, as a kind of label to help, I don't know, articulate that constellation of, um, you know, violence and depression and all the rest that, that men perpetuate. And I find a lot of men still are just like, well, where do I go with this? Right. And, um, you know, I'd love for you to speak a little bit to, some of the pathways, like you said, you know, possibility management or, or, you know, the power of conscious feelings, all that is, is a way or, or a, a number of ways. Um, and I think that's still important though for you, for you to be able to maybe offer that to men listening as well. Like, what are some ways to begin to do that work to escape the patriarchy? If that's the, the frame that is, we're using right now.
1: We began talking earlier about the numbness bar and, The courage it takes to lower the numbness bar is almost indescribable. Like words do not serve to convince somebody, explain to somebody, you know, to, to force somebody even to, to lower the numbness bar. It doesn't, it takes raw guts. It takes the kind of thing where you're, you're, it's so painful to keep doing it the old way that you've got to do it another way that pain is is the is the what's valuable about that pain is it is the force that will allow you to try something different and so you mentioned things like aggression or depression and and those things are very straightforward for example mixtures of emotions that once you once you have started to lower your numbness bar and you have maps so the thing is, that's what's so great about what I love about possibility management is the clarity of the navigation tools for the inner navigation to begin with. Is okay, so way back in nineteen sixty-five, Valerie Langford invented a map of four feelings anger, sadness, fear, and joy. And she was in a crazy house when she invented it. And her, her coach said, Valerie, learn to think while you are feeling, because she was all over the place going nutso in this crazy house. And so Valerie created anger, sadness, fear, and joy. She gave it to Eric Byrne. They used it in transactional analysis. In 2007, I went back to the International Transactional Analysis Conference in South San Francisco to present the work that we've been doing with, with Dr. Stephen Cartman's drama triangle and with valerie langford's four feelings map because we've we've upgraded the thought world we've made it even more amazing than that and and uh they had these big speakers i'll just tell you this funny little story they had these big speakers these guys who were who were famous in the transactional analysis world and so they had 200 you know of the guests were in the big room and we had a little workshop with 12 people in the side room well they put our side room exactly next to the big room. So we had one of these multipurpose rooms with these sliding doors. And so, and so my gremlin <laughs> said, we would like to demonstrate a process where a person can actually experience and express 100% archetypal fear for as long as they want because it does a thing called stellating it changes you from a planet into a star it changes your relationship to fear for the rest of your life is there anybody who would like to do this and this woman from New Zealand said I'd like to do that we said fine lay down here on the floor and close your eyes we're going to hold space and you start dropping into pure fear don't mix the anger in because if you mix fear and anger together you get hysterical you get aggression if and don't mix this sadness don't mix the sadness in because fear and sadness mixed together you get despair. Okay, just let the fear. It will feel like panic. Panic is one hundred percent pure fear. Panic usually happens like when your numbness bar is high and you go and from nothing numb to uh, eighty-five or ninety percent fear, and that jump is this shock, and that's where this panic attack comes from. So, so, so she goes, okay. And she followed the instructions perfectly. And she drops into archetypal levels of fear. And she screamed. It puts hair up on the back of your neck. And you just, you know, it's like she could have got a job in one of these monster films where all the women scream, you know, because <laughs> this monster is coming. Well, she, we did it a few times. And she did fantastic. In fact, she's, still be, she's becoming a trainer in possibility management today from New Zealand. So, So the thing is, after this, we come outside and the, and the man who put the entire transactional analysis conference together came over to me. He says, were you the one screaming in the next room? And I go, oh God, here it goes. You know, here's, here's the reprimand or whatever. And he looks at me and he's so touched. And he says, I have not heard feelings work in transactional analysis since Eric Byrne died. So Eric Byrne was doing this stuff, but his people couldn't hold it. And so it's all this analytical head stuff. So so this pathway of lowering the numbness bar is so effective when you have the maps, when you know that this is anger, it's what it feels like, here's what sadness feels like, here's what fear, and here's what joy feels. This is what it is. I can tell you which category I'm in, which domain I am in. And then when you mix your feelings together, you can tell, ah, uh, yeah, this is sentimentality. Yes. This is schadenfreude. This is like the joy of destroying things. Yes, this is what I, this is this kind of, get, I mix fear and joy together and I get this this um, unnecessary risk gambling, you know, this excitement kind of thing. So you know what the feelings combinations are and depression is just anger mixed with sadness. That's all. For 39 years of my life, I was depressed. I really, and I didn't even know it. It wasn't major depression, but it was like ongoing depression. It was this dark cloud. I used it as a defense strategy. And then I, I, I learned to separate my anger from my sadness. And I, I had major anger, which was not okay because my box, my, my plan was to be a good boy. My, I was a nice boy, good boy, quiet. I, so being angry was not okay. And then when I separated the sadness out of my anger, I was fucking angry. I could, i stuff came out of my mouth I would not have believed possible. And this sadness, this deep, sobbing, almost like endless place of sadness, this deep grief thing was so great to feel. It was such a joy to feel this immense sadness and to still be able to communicate with people and not think I was going nutso. You know that I was hopeless. That I was. Oh my God! They're going to have to give me medicine or something, you know. And then to it come. Then I, then I come back. And so this separation of the of the sadness and the anger, the depression was gone forever for the rest of my life. It has been gone, and I could go back there if I wanted to by mixing those two together, just like anybody. And so so these maps, these distinctions. These thoughtware, we call it thought where the way we understand it to, and can navigate, internavigate the experience of lowering your numbness bar, I think is important. I think it empowers the the unfolding of, of our connection to our heart, to our emotional body in such a, a, an elegant and, and and useful way. And I've just seen it over and over in myself and other you know hundreds of other people. And so if you're going to exit the patriarchy, you're going to be you're going to need to know how to feel to navigate yourself. Because because the feelings the emotional body is not a mistake. It's not a design error. It's not a design error. I tell this, you know, the only design error from God is the size of the seed in an avocado. You know, it's too big. That's a design error. But the the rest of it, it's not a design error. So, okay. So yeah, so then but if you can't navigate your feelings, like if you don't start by lowering your numbness scar and learning mad, sad, glad, and scared, and being able to see, to say, "Hey, I I feel thirteen percent sad because you're you're you. I thought you forgot about me because you were three minutes late, and I feel forty two percent angry because you had this commitment to be here, you know, at, at this time, and you weren't there. So I I it's, you broke your agreement with me, and I I feel." you know, 37% said afraid because I think you might do it again. I think you don't really respect me enough. I have, I'm afraid you don't respect me enough. And I, I feel, you know, 41% joy because here we are having the meeting. You know, if you can't Mm -hmm. do that, if you can't, if you don't know yourself that well, you're not going to be able to navigate outside of mainstream culture. It's so basic and it's so straightforward and it's so amazing. It's so amazing. Hmm.
0: Well, would you say that that kind of feelings work is maybe initially most helpful within the context of male-identified people, for example, like within the context of a men's group? I mean, I know you've done a lot of mixed group as well, but do you feel like... Because that's what I found, right? Like, There's been many experiences where I actually feel more kind of unwilling to lower the numbness bar to tap into more deep feeling with the presence of women. And maybe because again, it's this, I don't know, they'll see me as weak or, or, you know, to be honest, there's situations where, you know, I haven't felt like they can actually hold the space. Um, you know, I've been in relationships as well, where that's been, I i feel that's been the case. You know, if I'm the one who's going to relinquish what I would consider, you know, the masculine pillar of like holding space, then I need somebody else to be able to hold the space for me And I've been in relationships and interactions with women where, you know, I didn't feel that was the case. So I felt, and I think a lot of men do, they can feel safer in a way to relinquish that pillar in the company of other men who can then hold the space from the masculine polarity.
1: I would view that as a pretty severe handicap to Mm. hold it that way or to even format a story around your experience that would explain things to you in that way. I mean you've you've you pointed out this is really a painful aspect that has to of about um what if you're with somebody who doesn't evolve in the same rate of speed, if they don't upgrade their thoughtware in the same way at the same time as you, what happens to your relationship when your intimacy starts to to slide away because somebody wants a a, a more clarity, more depth, more vulnerability, more um, presence, more connection, more, you know, and the other one is, is going, no, no, no. We have a pattern. We have, we have role models, my, my family, your family, this, you know, we have, we have bills to pay. We have kids to raise, you know, we, we don't, what is this talk about evolution? What do you, what do you even, so this gap that happens, it's a natural and yet, I would, I would complain about it. You know, it's something I could complain about is that, I mean, it really, it happened to me a couple of times. I mean, I've, I've had this experience of being what I thought would be my lifetime partner. I've had that twice fall apart from me because of the discord in the evolution occurrence happening. And, and so I'm, so if you understand. If like what I had, I told you, I had to have faith in echo, the earth coincidence control office to put me where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there and trust. Like I didn't meet my partners by conscious will. I met them by accident. Who arranged the accident? So when, when my partnership is, is becoming less intimate, like, like relationships don't die from a lack of love. Relationships die from a lack of intimacy. When the when one of us evolves or doesn't evolve at a certain rate, and the intimacy starts to from the five bodies, if different kinds of intimacy, there's all kinds of intimacies possible. When they start to fade out, it's like okay, I have to have faith in I'm getting moved somewhere. Something else is going to happen. If I cling to some concept or construct like monogamy or something like something where I'm supposed to be with one person my whole life and things start changing then i have to contradict a force of nature that's trying to get me to evolve and that's a big battle that battle i would have to use drugs alcohol overbuying shoes i would have to watch too many i love lucy movies i mean i would have to really numb myself out to about the pain of the of going against this force of nature that wants to move us somewhere else and so Anyway, I just would encourage people to know that yes, if you're on the path of transformation, uh, rather than the path of stasis, stasis, if you're on the path of transformation, shit happens. You know, things really life goes like that. Look at nature. Look at look at the animals. Look at stuff like that.
0: Hmm. You know, you you mentioned monogamy there too, and it's it's an interesting kind of a uh, inquiry as well that I have in particular because as you know I'm making a film about a community in Portugal called Temera of which you uh, are definitely familiar with my understanding and they they practice what um I would consider or or they use language like uh, love free from fear uh, or truth in love which largely doesn't mean you know that there's a everybody has to be you know open relating and and with each other all the time but it's like this dedication to creating the structures which support that level of truth and and that um, whatever relationship style that you know that might be, at the same time, you know I'm in this culture, <laughs> uh, this modern culture, in this case Canada, and and what what I've been finding is that because the context is so different, uh, you know within this culture and particularly like the consequence of like you say, you know, going against an evolutionary pull towards t- towards evolution or towards transformation. Um, that, you know, I think of the 60s, let's say, has been largely characterized by those who look back on it and say, you know, all these people said, maybe they said, you know, hey, we're following our evolutionary, you know, psychedelic impulses. And there's a lot of broken families um because of that. And and, and a lot of, you know, hurt and uh trauma. And I say that too, because that is part of my family lineage, like as in having a You know, grandfather as well who went on, you know, for that search and, and, you know, the consequence of that and the repercussions through the generations I'm still in the, in the wake of. And so I guess that's my curiosity about how do we balance a sense of, let's say what's, what a partner may or may not be capable of, of meeting you on, but also there's maybe there's kids in the picture. Also there's, yeah, like how does one know when the time is the time to step, you know, beyond or, or, you know, cause again, I'm sure there's a lot of people sitting here too, who are, maybe they're in a life. They're like, Oh my God, this found so far beyond, you know, what I maybe feel I have access to. And yet to leap at it could create a lot of harm. Um So I'm curious again, how does one begin to even approach uh that kind of transition?
1: It's incredible to imagine how a modern person would think that it would be a reasonable thing to think of doing is to be a man and a wife and the kids as a way of life. Because for 200,000 years, the people that look like human beings on planet earth didn't do that. In fact, there's many parts on the planet where that still isn't, isn't happening. And what the thing is, is is that that one of the key ingredients that we're missing from that is called village. Where is our village? Where's the community? Because in a community, the children and the partnerships are held in a different way. When you include evolution of consciousness in the community, as, as, then, then it, it's pretty straightforward that, um, a child needs more than a mom and a dad. It needs multiple moms and dads. And not only that, it needs children's culture. It needs a gang of kids. You know, I was fortunate enough back in the 1970s, late 1970s, early 80s, to go on a road trip and hit and end up in northern Thailand in the hill tribes where we had to go on elephant and walk for days and get to these villages where there was no road. There was no road. There was only a path. And they would allow us white people, like blazing, it was me and my wife at the time, young, you know, white people to come and sit in their village for a few days and just be there. Well, in that culture was a tribe of kids. And the kids were multiple ages all together roving around as this learning team, where as soon as the older one figured something out from us, you know, learned something, it would teach the next one who would teach the next one and the next one. And then it was this organism that would just follow us around for days, learning as fast as it could. Okay. A, a child, this is where, this is what a child, this is what we needed. We needed multiple age groups of child's culture that was a learning machine that would go around and, and become, you know, citizens in the culture instead of what we do now is chop people up into ages and put like a curriculum and comes from a teacher and it's like, so that's a different subject, of course. But the, but the thing is like, okay, so, the whole con the whole imagination that we have that it's possible to live as a nuclear family and by these days it's even a patchwork family is a is a is a is a consumer device that the more individual units you have the more refrigerators you can sell so and the whole the whole thing about community and village is we're we're designed for that we're we're the whole construct of monogamy had to do with land ownership, it has to do with who who's going to inherit the land, who's, whose name do you put on the piece of paper that says this land belongs to this person. And so it's a construct that we forgot about long ago and when we try to fit into it. And so that construct can be exited, but you have to first recognize it as a construct. And it's a traumatic experience to believe, to to, to see that you've been Fooled, you know, you've been you've been fooled into subscribing to a set of rules that aren't aren't in your ordinary behavior pattern. Like it isn't it isn't there, and the the aliveness that happens in many many um, of the eco village or intentional communities around the planet now, you know, in my picture instead of one hundred and ninety five countries at the United Nations, what we're headed for. Is a hundred million nano nations around the planet, and so it's united people, it's united communities, it's united nano nations where there's a, a hundred million nano nations, each one with their own, each village with their own culture, their own currency that that has no exchange rate between other currencies. I mean, this is to me, you know, and we when we walk, we walk from place to place, and and it just takes longer. That's the only thing that's different between our culture now and that culture there is that, is that the culture is, is you just, you get to choose which culture you live in. You get to choose cultures, a game world you get to. And if you don't find a culture that you like to live in, you make your own, you invent your own cultural game world to live in and start. And other people will come and you have yourself a village and they're, they're, the thing that you're talking about in terms of the evolution of consciousness would be so diverse on the planet and so abundantly rich you know that's that's what's possible for human beings when we take our authority back
0: hmm. well, yeah, two things come up for me one is you know this I love that idea of nano nations, and you know it my thoughts kind of split in two directions. one is the recognition that I feel like that's actually what was uh the case you know before capitalism, empire building, of course, that there's multitude of indigenous peoples and um, you know, groups all over the world. Um, and I hear what you're saying, I think is there's a distinction in that it's actually now a kind of, you know, I, the way I see it is like spiral dynamics, you know, like returning again, but now with, you know, everything that's happened since like the journey we've gone on since. Um But the other piece too, and this is just a kind of a, I'd love for you just to distinguish is, you know, what's the, what's the possibility or what's the, susceptibility to a nano nation becoming a cult, which is, uh, you know, what we've seen, I think, you know, uh, largely branded these, uh, you know, mini cultures that develop, but then, you know, turn dark, um, after a certain point. And so I'd love, I I suspect that you've thought about this and I just wonder again, how do you, how to distinguish or how to kind of inoculate from these, you know, little communities becoming, uh, cults essentially.
1: It's funny, this word cult, uh, in a way, because, oh, in 1860 was the last witch burning, not so long ago. And so if you look it up, you can find that for 700 years, we we allowed witch burnings. We allowed the, the uh, what is it called? The inter, it starts with an I, the Inquisition. Inquisitions for 700 years, try to imagine the first thing your mother would teach you is to watch out for what the neighbors think. Do you, did you get that teaching from your mom? Did you get the teaching? You know, cause if you do, if you walk barefoot out in the snow, if you don't put a coat on, you know, if you, if you leave litter on the road, if you, you know, if you hold the cat too long, whatever the thing is, it's going to freak the neighbors out and they'll turn you into the inquisitors. Then how long will you live? So this fear is still in us because we're not aware of it for the most part. So the thing is, I want to, I want to talk about initiation for a second. Because in indigenous cultures, there's a form of initiatory process that you have a clip on uh, for these, this series of talks. You have a clip of, of a, of a guy with some rope that he, he made out of vines tied to his ankles and then leaping off a pole head first towards the ground. And if his rope doesn't hold, he's a goner. Okay, that's that's an initiatory process that they would use. And the initiations from indigenous cultures have a purpose. And that is a purpose where you move your assemblage point, which is the place, your point of origin, you take it out of your mom and you stick it into the traditions of the culture so that your authority is out there in the traditions and you know what kind of clothes to wear At different times and different ceremonies to perform, how to build your house, how to plant the crops, how to bury your dead, how the whole, the whole, which songs to sing, which gods to pray to. And, and, and you know how to do that. And this kind of initiation works when you have a noble culture, which we don't today. And when environmental conditions are stable, which is not the case today. So we have two fundamentally different conditions then. And so indigenous initiatory processes essentially do not help us anymore. So it doesn't, you know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have sweat huts, sweat lodges, and you shouldn't go out and and connect with nature and learn how to start fires by rubbing sticks together and do vision fast. And all those things are fantastic matrix building experiences. They're important and they are not, they're insufficient to initiate us into the kind of adulthood that's needed now. The difference being the initiatory processes for next culture, for the 21st century, for archaearchy initiations, take your assemblage point out of your mom and stick it in you, in your center. So instead of putting your authority out there in the traditions, in in the culture at large, where, where that is the authority, you have the authority yourself. This is scary because then you are radically responsible for your choices. And what that makes it, though, is it makes it that you are responsible, not the culture responsible. You choose, and then this makes the culture very flexible to evolve. The, the culture itself can evolve fast enough to reinvent itself according to the circumstances. So it's a completely different kind of initiation than what in indigenous culture initiations have been so far. And so you put this new kind of initiation at the center of your village and you will find the psychopaths. The psychopaths, when initiation is back in the middle of the village, the psychopaths don't pass the initiations. Don't pass they there's a disconnect between your mind and your heart in a psychopath it's measurable on a scan on a on, you can measure this on a scan and so when that when that is there you won't pass the initiation so so by you know most cults the the word cult has replaced the word witch you know, Walt Disney made witches into funny little old women who ride broomsticks with cats and have bent noses with warts and, you know, <laughs> you know, so it's all it's it has it has disempowered the horror in the word being called a witch. You called it you dress up for Halloween for a witch. And so but dare somebody say you're a sect or a cult. That's the word that has replaced it. And so so then we go burn the cult. You know, we, we attack the cult. And yes, yes there are um, game worlds for nano nations, call them, that have use a hierarchical structure that the psychopath can lead and hold the space for. And everybody needs to obey that. And then he doesn't know what his gremlin is up to. He has not been initiated. So his gremlin runs the game world. You end up with a cult. OK, this is an exact definition. It is totally clear how that works. And I've seen them before. I've been, I've been around a few of them. I saw, and you, and once you have your authority back, you just step out, you know, and if the people don't have to submit themselves to that insanity. And when, as soon as you change this uh, pyramid, the hierarchical structure that's so rigid, it's like the pyramids in Egypt, you know, it just stays there. As soon as you change it into a, a, a circle and you learn circular meeting technologies, how to make a decision in a circle, how to use group intelligence, how to amplify the leadership so that people, everybody in the circle gets, is empowered in their own leadership in a way and the group intelligence and their, and their possibilities, their resource of intelligence is huge. And you learn how to deal with, um, the conflicts that come up using the frying pan process or the walk process or the, um mess process, all these processes that are new meeting technologies for circles and toroids, then as soon as you implement that, you you it doesn't work for a psychopath to take over. It just doesn't work. It cannot happen. So this is this is fabulous new stuff for us to learn about.
0: Hmm. Well I you know that's funny because the feeling i get as well when you begin using some of the the different technologies or the the names and things i mean i get excited in a sense because i love how sophisticated and and diverse you know the the game world is as you said and and it has like a whole lexicon which um you know to the listener again who's maybe just being introduced to this they might again be a little overwhelmed and like wait what the what and the what and that's totally okay as in, I, I want to say to them too, like, Hey, it's totally okay. This is kind of like, you know, dispatch from, yeah, very different thoughtware. Um, and it's not about, you know, getting it and understanding it all at once, but I think for, for even me, um, I really appreciate just the, the capacity to touch into just an entirely other realm, which feels so different than, again, the modern culture as it is. And, and I feel like how important that is actually to be like dipped into, you know, another, Whole realm like this, because again, it just really invites, I think, you know, beyond the maybe the uncertainty and the wait, why am I not getting it, you know, tension to just be like, wow, there are other ways to do things.
1: Try to imagine we have been given a set of thoughtware, standard human intelligence thoughtware. And and, and that has and, and if everybody kind of around us is using the same set of distinctions or the same uh, box construct pieces they put together to, so that the world looks to them and everybody agrees then we think we think we're safe you know we think yeah with that, standard human intelligence thought where the rule of law of modern civilization is exterminating life on planet earth. Hello, wake up call, you know, and, and the status quo is one of the hardest things to upset. And yet climate change is doing that. The virus is, has done that. You know, we have been, we have been, we've been sucked into the whirlpool. So this is fantastic. And other thought where is available. You know, I, I started Inventing thoughtware for next culture back in 1975, having no idea what was going on for me. And I would, I have the kind of, uh, my box, part of my box is to document stuff. I just need to, I, I this is, I, I always write stuff down in these books, you know, and, and this is book number 38. So by documenting the thought where I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what it was for. It wasn't until around 2007, 2008 when I really, even though I was a physicist, I have a degree in physics, I didn't get it that the methane clathrates that are um, releasing the methane into the atmosphere out of the Siberian Sea and the tundra has, has brought methane to a level on the planet where it has not been for way longer than half a million years you know, it's, 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 it's so much higher than anything that the planet has seen for half a million years. We are off the charts. Okay. All right. This was the wake up call that got me to say, okay, we need, there's another, there's something happening. There's a new culture being born. There are people, I started to put it together and that's where it became, I could take a stand and actually say, Hey, these distinctions fit together and build a bridge into a a new a new culture called archiarchy, and it, the thought work for archiarchy already exists. It's based on the context of radical responsibility. It's the initiations into radical responsibility with your assemblage point on your center. How do you get centered, grounded, bubbled, and have your your tools and distinctions for creating life in a, a radically responsible culture that's regenerative? Well, hey, we've it's here it doesn't it do, you don't have to invent it you can actually experiment with yourself find out if it works for you or not start practicing it's all experiment it's actually very fun it's in it's it's blows your way when you when you don't react to into in a situation where you normally react and feel bad and you behave in a different way and you feel present you feel connected you feel compassionate you feel mm, you feel like there's this a different kind of authority in your in your skin that you get to connect with other people who are this is incredible stuff so i love what you're doing with making the the edge visible that there are bridges each person you bring into to your show here has a different bridge they're all connected together they're kind of all going in in the diver, a diversity of archaearchal cultures and if you can talk about it and embrace it god that's what you're building for people this is fantastic
0: Hmm. Wow. Thank you, Clinton. I'm feeling, uh, yeah, deeply inspired actually by, by our time today. And, um, you know, I, there's a lot of questions I still have that I would love maybe to create the space for, you know, a future conversation in particular, maybe what it might mean or what, what kind of specific ways of relating that, you know, from an archetypal perspective that, you know, men and women can, can explore. And yeah, that sounds like that would be a really fruitful, um, future episode. And for now, how about uh, we just close with um, maybe anything else you feel to say, you know, to end this conversation and then how others can begin to connect with your work uh, in a more deep way?
1: Well, the way to connect with the work is, is the easier question to answer. <clears throat> There's a, a website called possibilitymanagement.org, which has a lot of information and uh, explanations on it. It's a kind of a quick and dirty um presentation about what possibility management is and how to get into it you know right now uh, because of most of the training spaces are not happening because they're in-person spaces we have a lot of online stuff happening so but you would find that on for example uh, possibilityteam.org you could you would find a global uh, how many possibility teams you can participate almost any hour of any day of the week you can participate in a possibility team even though you don't know these people at all you just show up and they welcome you and they support you to go through wherever you are in your liquid states of consciousness evolution so this is fantastic we're also building our little team of people is building a massively multiplayer free to play online and offline personal transformation thoughtware upgrade um, adventure game called startover.xyz. And if you go on that link right now, it will take you to a catalog of uh, over 300 websites. Each one is full of experiments to do, uh, videos to watch, um, distinctions to experiment with, like really uh, a, a huge amount of of information, It's kind of like a new kind of book or a new kind of education because every one of the websites has links to all these other websites. So you can bounce, you can follow your curiosity and bounce from website to website and get the piece that you need, get whatever you need. And it, it doesn't take hardly any time at all to find out the next thing that you need and this is a fabulous people are telling us how glad they are that this they they get frustrated because they have 20 tabs open on their computer because they're because they're so excited about everything and they want to <laughs> get it so but it's a that's a really fabulous way to to just jump in here too i've got books out you just go to amazon.com and put in clinton callahan and you'll you'll get the books there's a few books out and uh, just to be clear the radiant joy brilliant love book is out of print and it's been replaced by exactly the same contents, but a new title. The book is called Creating Love That Lasts, Building Love That Lasts, sorry, Building Love That Lasts. So those are ways uh, to just put your foot in the water. We have sparks. We have specific practical applications of radical knowledge. You can get a spark in your email box for free every week, which is a bunch of a, a distinction that unfolds. And then you have experiments to do. In your daily life, nobody really knows what kind of experiments you're doing there. A lot of them are internal, but you get your authority back, your power back, your clarity back. You get to, you get to find out what you mean when you say the word "I," which I is talking. It's a completely different relationship to God. I, I didn't know I had so many eyes, and then I get to choose which one is talking, and that's a that's a really great piece. Yeah. And we have the distinctionary dot XYZ is online. It has a bunch of the distinctions from possibility management that's just online. So there's these huge amounts of doorways into the, into this. We're just building bridges as fast as we can. And I appreciate the collaboration here of this bridge. I think I just want to amplify what you said earlier, which is to give yourself space with this stuff because it is, it is inner navigation like the inner and outer resources that we have available to us as our birthright are not, we're not educated about it at all by the thought wear of modern culture. And to get exposed to this can be confusing. It can be frustrating. It can be scary. It can make you, uh, it can you can feel this dizziness going around and, and you have liquid states in all five of your bodies when you start to really get this stuff. That's that's a good thing that's that means you're actually getting something new. you know many people, when they start embracing the initiatory processes, go, "I have been waiting for this my whole life." When I was eighteen years old, I expected something big to happen, something real and formidable that had could really bring and and what do we get we get we can drink, we can vote, we can drive a car. It's about it, and then we're abandoned. And we've been in a school program that hypnotized us into thinking that success would happen if we got good grades in a, in, a, in a hierarchical, patriarchal game world called school. And we get out of 14 years of school and we're standing there going, who am I? What am I supposed to do in a world like, like what, are, what did I really come here to planet Earth for? And it's in there. It's in you. It's in this little pearl inside of you that you can open. And it's in an archetypal lineage that's waiting for you to jack into. And it's in these these feelings, These this feelings power that the king, the warrior, the magician, and lover can turn on inside of you through stellating these four feelings, anger, sadness, fear, and joy. And this is all waiting for you. And it's fantastic news. It's like, yeah, and it's weird. It's just like, it is weird. And, you know, weird is good. Weird is like... The new cool. I don't I don't know. It's like go for it. Trust yourself. Have fun. The thing is about really, you don't have to look good in this process. You really don't have to look good. And and there's plenty of people who who to connect with. Who you know, I remember when I was a kid, I would read science fiction books. And not many kids were reading science fiction books. And then when I got out of school, I was in San Diego and I, I went to a, a conference, a comic conference, and I got to they'd get I got to have lunch with Robert and Virginia Heinlein. I got to sit next to Robert Heinlein at the table and have lunch with the guy. And I got to ask him any question I wanted and he would answer. And it was this, 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 this confirmed that it was okay to like science fiction stories. So in a way, this is like a real life science fiction story for you. And, and the, the future can be built and it's right here and it starts at the bridge. And the mythical masculine is a doorway.
0: Mm. Beautiful place to leave the audience in the conversation here today. Thank you, Clinton.
1: Thank you, Ian.
0: Thank you for listening to today's Mythic Masculine podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening, and leave a comment. And if you'd like to support future episodes, head over to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Mac. that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash i-a-n-m-a-c-k to become an ongoing funder. Thank you.